When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Tug Republic Podcast, a weekly chat with Carolina Guzik about all things marketing. Some episodes are short tips that you can implement in your business right away, while others are in-depth conversations with industry leaders. Whether you're a new photographer searching for some knowledge or an established professional with years of experience, Carolina offers fresh and innovative advice that can help you transform your photography business. everybody and welcome to another episode of the Talk with Public. I am Carolina Gusik, your host, and today we have a fantastic guest that I can't wait to chat with it. Her name is Paige Hulse. Did I say it right? You said it correctly, yes. <laughs> and she is a lawyer. She also has a shop where you guys can find, you know, more information and templates and all that good stuff, legal things that we should have for our business. So without any further ado, Paige, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so excited to be able to speak with you today and get to talk about maybe an issue that's not so fun for all of us, but something I know that we can get through if we just have the right framework in place. So I really appreciate you having me. (laughs) No, I appreciate you because I'm sure that you're super busy right now. So thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your knowledge and chatting (laughs) with all of us. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is a, it's definitely an interesting time for many of my clients right now. So I'm sure. So I just gave a very brief introduction of who you are and what you do. What about you give us a little bit more information about this? So yeah, absolutely. Well, again, thank you for having me. So like you said, my name is Paige Hulse. I have two businesses. I have a law firm, which is Paige Hulse Law. I got really creative with naming that one. (laughs) (laughs) And then I have a second business that you mentioned, which is the creative law shop. So I've formed both in um, 2017. Prior to working in the wedding industry, I was actually a contract litigator. So I was in court all the time. And um, that type of lifestyle, unsurprisingly, is very stressful. Uh, And so to make a very long story short, I picked up calligraphy as a just stress reliever, kind of an outlet in the evenings, which introduced me to the creative world. And I I realized um, that all I wanted to do was own my own business and that there was quite a need for actual legal knowledge within the creative industry. So I started um, the firm in June, almost almost three years now, June of 17. And then a couple months later, I started the creative law shop um, because I was I realized that there was such a need for creative, um, actually legally sound contract templates or contracts in the creative world. Um, And I had a whole desktop full of the ones I'd written for my own clients. So I redacted the names and those are the ones that you can find in the shop now. I love that story. And this has nothing to do with the conversation that we're going to have, but I just (laughs) want to point out for whoever is listening that at any point in your life, you can pivot what you're doing. Like who knew that you had gone to law school and ended up working for creatives? I'm sure that wasn't like your first choice, Uh, but here you are. 
It's crazy. And I, you know, what's kind of funny. I love that you, you even say that. Um, I actually so I said I was a contract litigator. If I'm being more specific, I was an oil and gas attorney. Nothing, so to, I, do. <laughs> nothing to do. And I worked my, my rear end off to get that job out of law school because that was a very competitive field to be in. Um, and I was the only, I was one of three women in my state that were practicing in that area. So I went from working with <laughs> literally wow. only men to uh, then being, of course, in the wedding and creative industry, which was <laughs> very different. I so. love this. And maybe this is why I love having these chats, because you get to find out these little pieces of information that you can, you know, you can inspire for your own life. Mm-hmm. And I know right now, again, this is hard times and people are wondering what's going to happen. And listen, you can pivot your business at any point. Maybe things exactly. that you didn't think that you wanted to go or do here, you know, find some ideas. Exactly. I cannot agree more. So that's exactly right. <laughs> awesome. But let's jump right into this conversation because there is a lot of talk, especially, I mean, you work with creatives I'm constantly in like Facebook groups and mm-hmm. looking at things and I find some things that I'm just like, mm, I don't think this is legal. And I even in my own Facebook group with my friends, I kind of like my phone and I'm like, hey, internet lawyers, what can exactly. you do? <laughs> so like, I, I mean, you're a real lawyer. So I want to ask you this question. And let's start with the one that I keep seeing. And again, we are one month into this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Already. So many of those things probably... People have, you know, listened uh, conversations about this, but I just want to make sure that we yep. are very clear from the beginning. So yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the first thing is like, what is the definition or force majeure or acts of God? Because I think this is what I keep seeing the most. And they're like, well, this is, this is it. And I don't know if we exactly. actually know what this is. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and just as a little aside before jumping into my answer here, um, like you said, we're about four to six, four to six weeks into this, depending on what calendar you're going off of. Um, And as this pandemic has continued to spread and the situation has continued to evolve, actually some of the legality around things has started to evolve as well. It's just a natural, that's a natural byproduct. Um, So this is still a very timely talk is is my (laughs) point with that. Uh, With that being said, Let's, we'll just dive right in with the with the super fun stuff. I promise this is going to be the most um, the most legalese that I provide in this talk because discussing force majeure is um, a bit of a technical um, a technical conversation. And actually, let me back up really quickly. I'm sorry, I, I should have started with this, and I have to be a lawyer here and give my standard disclaimer. And that's while I'm an attorney, I am not um, whoever is listening. I am not your attorney unless we sign a client agreement. And everything I'm talking about today is for educational purposes and is not intended to be the legal advice that you specifically need for your own business. So I hope that you learn from what I'm saying. And if you have any questions, follow up with a lawyer in your state. So sorry, love I have to, have to get that out of the no, way. No, 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 I love it. <laughs> Thank you. So that being said, let's talk about force majeure. So this, generally speaking, means um, a superior force. So a force majeure provision is a provision in the contract that I'm, I'm sure, as you all know by now, um, is intended to protect the parties in the event of a completely unforeseen, unforeseeable um, act of God, typically, like you stated. Now, this is where um, if every state has a bit of a different definition as to what force majeure actually is or what constitutes force majeure. Generally speaking, I want to hit on three things here. Um, in order for force majeure to apply, the event that we're talking so here, a pandemic, mm-hmm would have to qualify as force majeure within the actual writing of the contract. And I'll explain this a little bit more. 
Um, second, the uh, person who is bringing this claim in court, if we are talking about court, would have to prove that the risk of non-performance of the services under the contract was both foreseeable and able to be mitigated. That's important, and I'll get. I'll come back to that. I'm taking number, notes here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And number three, that performance is truly impossible. So, kind of trying to break that down to just plain old English here. Um, in order for an event to qualify as force majeure under the contract, a person's contract, first of all, it would have to have a force majeure provision within it. So many people, um, so many people that I've spoken to lately, do not even have a force majeure provision within their contract and their clients who are trying to use this as a way to get refunds, et cetera, are saying that this is a force majeure event. Well, if you don't have a force majeure provision within your contract, you can't read that into a contract. It has to be written. And then in order for it to actually cover um, COVID-19, it would have to state pandemic, epidemic, or if you just entered into the contract, it would have to state COVID-19. So that's point number one. Point number two, again, the important one here, the risk of non-performance was foreseeable and able to be mitigated. So what that means is that if it were, if we're talking about a photographer here who um, is potentially, let's say, trying to figure out how to handle a wedding that's supposed to happen in early May, um, at this point, it's the risk of non-performance is foreseeable because here we are a month out um, discussing that it may be impossible to perform those services. And we'd have to also prove that it was um, not able to be mitigated. So this means that the, again, the photographer in this scenario, if the photographer is attempting to uh, find a rescheduling day, a, a rescheduled date, you know, work around this in some way, they're trying to mitigate their non-performance. So that's, that is really the important part because obviously that's what all of us, that's what all of my clients, and I know all of your audience, we're trying to work with our clients and figure this out here. We all know that we need to um, be aware of the fact that the coronavirus could still be um, an issue. Again, if I'm talking about a May wedding, just as an example, um, is likely still going to be an issue. So we know it's foreseeable and we are working as hard as we can to mitigate it. Um, which brings me to my third point. Again, the performance is truly impossible. So if a photographer is able to reschedule a wedding, for example, or reschedule his or her services for a different date, the performance, the actual act of that person providing photography for the wedding is not truly impossible. Um, an example that I give of when force majeure would actually apply was uh, it was right when I started my business in 2017 when Hurricane Harvey hit in Houston, um, and it hit during in September, and so that was a very busy wedding season, and it hit on if I remember correctly it hit on a Friday or Saturday, and so there were weddings that were supposed to occur on that weekend, and I remember I had a client at the time who was a videographer, and his clients were actually trying to still get him to come shoot the wedding because it was right outside Houston. And he, I'll never forget this visual it gave me because he was saying I would have to literally swim out of my home to get oh. to, he goes, my car won't even drive and the floods were too big. Uh, my car won't even drive. I'd have to swim with my camera on my back <laughs> to wow. even get there. So that's an example of a true act of God that makes the performance of him, in that case, shooting the wedding literally impossible. He could not actually get to the venue. So 
that is a very wordy, wordy response <laughs> to that answer. But this is a really, this is the most, I think one of the most important topics um, to hit on here. So I think, I mean, correct me if I'm mistaken here, we kind of like approach it as a photographer client. Now this could be exactly the same way as kind of like a client photographer, the client being like, listen, this is it. I'm canceling. Mm -hmm. I want my money back because mm -hmm. this is, you know, the same situation you could say as a photographer, like, well, we can, as you said, litigate and try to come with an arrangement. Exactly. Okay. That's, that's exactly right. And that's, I know we'll get into that a bit more, I'm assuming later on. Um, but that's really, when we talk about force majeure, that's really where the conversation is headed, no matter what. Um, I would argue at the, which is such a lawyerly way to start a <laughs> sentence, but I would argue that at the end of the day, it almost does not matter if the force majeure would, argument would actually apply because all that that's leading you to is that negotiation of, of what happens next and truthfully what happens with the retainer deposit, whatever it may be. Um, so let's not get too hung up on the actual question of whether or not it is force majeure and think more in broader terms um, with the perspective of that larger negotiation that's occurring. Fantastic. Good. I mean, I'm glad this got clarified because yes. I still keep seeing it in Facebook groups. It, so, yes, exactly. <laughs> so another question that I have here is, um, hold on, what is it? Um, <laughs> we're talking about non-refundable retainers. Yes. So, right? And people is like, well, it says in my contract that I, it's non-refundable no matter what. And just because I put it on my contract, that's just how it is. Exactly. Is that really how it goes? Or <laughs> <laughs> if that's really how it goes, then there would never be a need for any contract attorney ever. And <laughs> there are a lot of contract attorneys who uh, are ready to, to tell you exactly why you need us around. <laughs> so no, um, there's no such thing as there's no such thing in contract law as just black and white. Okay. Now, of course, the purpose of a contract is to try to get there as much as we can. We want everything in black and white writing. Mm -hmm. Make it as clear as possible. Um, I can't tell you, and I've had to, of course, I've had to litigate this, not litigate. I've had to work on this um, through negotiations right now from both perspectives, representing both, the, both um, my photography clients, for example. Mm -hmm. I've also had some cases where I have had to litigate, or again, I say litigate, courthouses are closed, so it's all <laughs> negotiation right now. Um, I've had cases from the other perspective of trying to argue why that payment is actually refundable. Um, it's never about just one provision of the contract, and this is something that I hope anybody listening really takes from this conversation. You can have a wonderful, you can have it written again in black and white ink that the payment is, or the retainer is non-refundable. You have to look at the contract as a whole. So my job as, um, as if I were, let's say, let's say I was opposite of you in this argument mm -hmm. and you were trying to tell me that your retainer is non-refundable. I'm going to know that you are focused on that one provision of your contract. And I'm going to be looking down at like paragraph 13, because I know that you're distracted by looking at just one paragraph. Mm -hmm. I'm going to look at the entire contract and I'll find a way to hopefully, um, I'll find a loophole in the rest of the document that could kind of, you know, pull the rug out from under the under the contract's feet, you could say, um, by proving that the contract could not be upheld if you actually were to argue it in court. And this is a, a one, and I know that I'm biased about this, but this is a huge, huge point that I want people to understand of why you can't just pull random contracts off the internet. Because the most, especially, I, I do have quite a few photography clients right now where I know that um, they've received free, or they've downloaded free contracts from different different learning resources and 
uh, they're running into some pretty big problems with this because especially it's a state by state consideration, but non-refundable retainers, um, those are, those can be difficult to uphold. Now, that being said, I don't want to be, I don't want to sound scary with all of this. If you do have a strong contract and if you have stated that it is a non-refundable retainer, you have a good argument. Um, what I want to, to remind the audience of here is that, again, no matter how great your argument is, it's still a negotiation. I'm probably going to get annoying saying that over and over. No, and um, I think it's, it's good so that, true. It's good that you keep reminding us that it's, I mean, the law, I mean, because I know some people say like the law is black and white and it's not as right. loopholes, there is things that we need to, to, you know, to consider. And I love that you pointed out that again, we're getting so caught up into this little clause that is like my yes. non-refundable when yes. in fact you said it's a whole contract that we need to look at. That's exactly right. I keep calling it kind of shiny object syndrome right now because I get, I see people get fixated on one provision like a force majeure or non-refundable retainer and forget to look at the whole picture. So that's exactly right. So much to learn over here. <laughs> so, so another thing that I keep seeing, and again, we have been already a couple you know, weeks into this. So a lot of photographers have already dealt with either postponements, cancellations. Uh, I mean, all of that. We still are going to see more because again, the pandemic continues and everything you right. know, keeps changing day by day. But what is the right legal approach yes. to these scenarios? Do I need to sign a new contract? Do I need to send a cancellation? It's an email, fine. It's a voicemail, okay. <laughs> Why, yeah. Where should I stand? Uh, where, yes. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. I'm, I'm very, very excited that you are asking this question because this is so, so important. Um, this is so important. And I hate to say this, but, and we may touch on this a bit later on as well. This is important to know now. Um, just to be completely forthright with you, I'm already starting to prepare my clients for the potential of this being an issue this fall as well. And the mm -hmm. only, and I, I don't have some sort of crystal ball saying that that is, um, that is going to happen, anything like that. Um, that's just an educated guess based off of what we're being told. And I want my clients to be as protected and prepared as possible. So that being said, um, yes, there is a very specific way that I'm advising my clients to handle this scenario. First, no voicemails. <laughs> Everything must be in writing. So that's an easy answer. Um, I know that some attorneys are and I, I know that there are some cases where this applies. I know that some attorneys are willing to say that just amending the contract, a very simple amendment or modification is appropriate. I'm trying to, when I'm advising my clients to the best of my ability, which again is for the ultimate purpose of protecting them mm -hmm. to the best of my ability, um, I'm going to advise them to operate as conservatively as possible. So that being said, I am telling all of my clients right now to use a rescheduling agreement if they are rescheduling or of course if they're canceling a um, a cancellation agreement and then if the wedding is when in the case of rescheduling if the wedding is rebooked for a later date entering into a separate and new agreement at that time so i'll kind of handle i'll kind of handle each argument or each approach um, one by one here so the reason for the rescheduling agreement is because, again, when we discussed a second ago the non-refundable retainer question, um, a lot of people can skim over a really important word or two words um, that are in quite a few contracts that I see, and that is non-transferable mm -hmm. discussion of payments. 
So if you have um, that language within your contract, for example, and if you have decided to, you and the client have decided to reschedule the agreement, or sorry, the reschedule the wedding, um, and you just have a simple little amendment that just says now instead of May, oh, it, now, now instead of May 2nd, the wedding is um, September 12th, something like that. I don't think that having just one little um, amendment like that is is going to be enough because, for example, if you're trying to be the nicest person in the world and um, apply all of their payments to their new September date, for example, if you have language within your contract that states that that payment is non-transferable, you may accidentally be in breach of your own contract. Mm. And that's a mistake that I'm seeing happen quite a bit. There is nothing to be lost and I will, I will argue this all day long. There is nothing to lose by operating conservatively. It protects both you and your client. If your client is nervous about signing a rescheduling agreement, that's exactly what you should tell them. You're protecting both of you to the best of your ability. Um, and I'll kind of get into a little bit later what should be in that agreement. Now, my second reason for all of this, other than just it's best practices to have people sign a rescheduling agreement, um, my second argument with all of this is I think that now, and I, when this first began, um, I, I didn't, there were some scenarios where I said you don't need to add um, new language to contracts because of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. This is one of those scenarios where now uh, as things have evolved, evolved and now um, as it seems like this could be something that we have to think about, you know, let's say for the rest of 2020, unfortunately, um, I think that it would be wise to go ahead and maybe add a couple of provisions to some, uh, a client agreement. Um, one just being, again, maybe fixing up your force majeure provision if you need to, but also having a provision in there that has something to do about the fact um, that the client can't force you to perform work at their wedding if it's unsafe, for mm, example. That's so important. Yes, because I have quite a few clients right now, quite a few, who actually have clients of their own who are refusing to reschedule their weddings. Um, and and that's, that's hard. That's very hard. And I shouldn't be surprised, but at first that did surprise me, quite frankly. So anyways, that, that's just an example of why you might want to have clients sign a new agreement upon rescheduling. And of course, if you do tell them that those new provisions are there. I was going to ask you that. Let's say my own clients, right? We didn't have yep. any of those provisions in the contract. Now we're rescheduling. I'm sending the reschedule agreement and I'm sending also a, a new contract that now has some other clauses in it. Yes. How, what would be the best way to handle this? Because I'm assuming maybe people get a little bit nervous. They're like, okay, yep. now you're sending a contract. There is other things in there that like originally we didn't per se agree to. Mm -hmm. What would be the best way to manage this situation? Absolutely. Absolutely. So first, I want you to send these as two separate agreements. Okay. Um, so I would start with sending the rescheduling first. And I know this sounds kind of clunky to have people sign two agreements, but it's best practices. <laughs> uh, so have them sign, sign the rescheduling agreement first. Um, I did have one client actually ask me a really great question the other day I'd like to share. And sure. she asked, when, you're, when, you are, uh, when you do that, and then in the new contract, you have the payment provision or you have the payment section, but mm -hmm. you have already 
discuss how that's going to be handled within the rescheduling agreement? Do you have to be redundant and say it all over again? I, I say no. I think that that rescheduling agreement could be attached as, let's call it, Exhibit A or Attachment A, however mm -hmm. you want to phrase that. And it can just be a document that's literally, um, I talk with my hands, <laughs> it can be a document <laughs> that's literally stuck to the back of the contract and labeled mm -hmm. Exhibit A, just so that you don't have to be redundant with, with discussing all of those same provisions all over again. Now, that all being said, if you do add new provisions to your new contract you're asking your client to sign, it is imperative that you are upfront and honest with your client about that and take time to walk them through that and show them exactly what you added and why you added it. And I can go down a whole rabbit hole with this conversation, but one, that's the right thing to do. <laughs> Two, if a client, if you don't and a client stumbles across that new wording because they're probably going to read that contract more closely this, this go around, mm -hmm. Um, no matter how great your relationship is, that will probably make them kind of take pause for a second. 100%. Um, it would for me. I know it, it would kind of seem like you're trying to be sneaky almost, even if you're not. Um, but something that I want people to remember, I don't, you should never be afraid to ask a client to sign a contract. In the United States, in order for a contract to be upheld in court, very generally speaking, it has to be equal to both parties. Okay. Um, so it's, if the contract is strong enough to actually be upheld in court, you can't be trying to pull one over a fast one on your client. Okay. Uh, it has to be something that protects both of you. And that's something that I encourage my clients to share with their clients. And um, again, especially with the types of provisions that I'm discussing here, um, these are not provisions that should be difficult for a client to sign or to agree to at all. Um, because if the coronavirus is, let's say, unfortunately, if this is something that's around in September, if they did, let's say on the flip side, if they decide to cancel their wedding in September and you say, nope, I want to make sure I get paid. I want to come and shoot the wedding anyways. You can't force them to continue to have the wedding. That sounds silly, but I mean, it works both ways. The same way they can't force you to come shoot a wedding right now that has, um, with the coronavirus being the threat that it is. Awesome. And moving forward here, just for a second. Yeah. I, I mean, I know things have a slowdown, but it's still with seeing people booking new clients, obviously yeah. all these things need to be in your new contract starting. Yes. Today. yes, absolutely. I will say all of the provisions that I just mentioned to you, um, including a couple I haven't mentioned, like incapacitation, meaning sickness, something, mm -hmm. you know, something like that. Um, I have all of those provisions listed right now for free on my website at shopcreativelaw.com. So people can just download those right now awesome. and add them in because those, those need to like need to be in your contract for sure. Awesome. Great. Uh, I mean, great. And for everybody that is listening right now, I'm going to add a link right to the notes on this uh, podcast episode and also on the notes on iTunes. So it's really easy for you just to click there and go and download these provisions. Alrighty, we kind of touch in this, but like I want to, you know, get a little bit deeper in this. Uh, yeah. This is a question that came from a friend of mine. He's also a photographer and he, we were talking about like how people are so caught up right now into like non-refundables and retainers mm -hmm. and reschedule that people are really missing what's going to be happening in maybe two, three months when things That's exactly kind of right. like maybe settle and start to go back to normal and it's what are the legal responsibilities that we have as photographers with clients that want to proceed, let's say with a huge wedding and we are not like under lockdown or mandatory, you know, stay at home kind of a thing, but it's just like more like a, 
like a suggestion before the government. Like you should avoid right. like, and things like that. And now as a photographer, you feel very unsafe. Maybe you have, you know, an immune system that, you know, that can be compromised exactly. or you live with somebody that can get sick. What do we do now? What, what are our legal rights or how should we handle this situation? Absolutely. This is a very difficult question. And unfortunately, this is a question I've been, I've had to address almost every single day since March 1st because of all of this. Um, this is really, really difficult. I, um, first, it's going to depend upon the phrasing within your own contract. So uh, that's part of why I mentioned the incapacitation clause as an example. Um, that's part of why I include those types of provisions in the contracts I write. Um, now that, that pertains more so that if um, on the actual wedding date, you were ill or unable to perform, something like that. But the point still remains. Uh, it depends on what is in your contract exactly. This is where, again, not to be entirely redundant, but this is where we are in an ongoing negotiation with our clients, no matter what, and we need to realize it right now. And this can be, again, the most amicable, friendly client relationship in the world. At the end of the day, it's still a negotiation. Um, because you all are trying to work together to figure out how to handle this. So I just want to be, I will be redundant with that. Um, so that, that being said, I think that it's where what I've been telling my clients to do is reach out to their clients now, begin those conversations now. Um, first, this is going to show to your client that you're a professional, you're on top of this. Um, I actually, I have a blog post I wrote actually yesterday, ironically, that'll be coming out sometime this week talking about this exactly, because it's when you reach out to your clients, it does not mean that you are telling them right now. For example, if we're saying like a July wedding, mm -hmm. would that be a good example? Yeah, that would be great. So, okay. So if we're, um, if we're talking about a July wedding and right now we don't truly have any information to state that that would be impossible to perform. I think it's great to reach out to those clients and say, hey, I just want you to know I'm on top of this. I'm, you know, closely monitoring the situation. Um, and I think that, honestly, I think it would be wise to offer them a, what I'm calling a backup date. Now, this is not you saying you have to move your wedding to November. This is just stating if we get to July and this becomes, and um, maybe there's a resurgence, um, I don't know if that's the right phrasing, but a resurgence of the virus, or it becomes clear that it would be difficult to continue to have the wedding, um, I, I would like to already have a backup in place so that we can move quickly if we need to. Now, I would, I would phrase it more eloquently than what I just <laughs> stated, but hopefully, hopefully you can derive. We'll get the point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the reason for this is because you never want your clients to be in a bind, obviously. Mm -hmm. This is going to prove to them that you are a professional, you're on top of it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's also going to kind of put that little seed in their, in their mind that it could potentially be unsafe to have the wedding then. Now, that's not me trying to be a sneaky lawyer by doing that. That's, that's because if we get to late June and it's evident that maybe you do need to reschedule because it would be unsafe for you to go and perform the services at the wedding, they will have known for the last three months that this is something that you have been kind of talking about with them. You've put them on notice. This is something that um, they're aware of as much as you are aware of. That I think there's some negotiation value there. Um, and I would also state to your clients that you're trying to reach out to them now. 
um, on a one-on-one basis. I want to be very clear about that. No mass emails, but on a one-on-one basis, because you want to provide them first come first serve opportunity to the available dates on your calendar. If in the event you do have to reschedule um, that original wedding. So that being said, I, I was speaking to somebody on the phone about this the other day and they were asking what date, when should I know for sure whether or not I need to cancel? We were talking about a June wedding, but when do I know for sure that I need to cancel my, the June wedding? Um, that's an inter-business decision that you need to decide. So you need to stay educated as to what's going on. Of course, what, what the CDC, what the government is putting out, et cetera. Um, but that's a decision that I think that you need to make internally. That can be, that's proprietary business knowledge. You don't mm-hmm. need to be publishing that to the world. Um, but just know that, for example, if we're talking about a July wedding, know that no later than um, let's say, you know, June 14th, something like two weeks out, know that for sure you will have decided whether or not you're willing to proceed with those July weddings. So that's awesome. just, yeah, that's, that's kind of how this whole thing began when, um, that first week that the coronavirus really affected the wedding industry, we had guidelines from the CDC, but we, it was, everything else was silent. Um, and so it was, it was all kind of operating as the most educated guests that we could make at the time. Oh, and as, I mean, as you keep continue saying, this is a negotiation process. Uh, yes. Again, every day something new comes up, something different changes. So like it's an ongoing process. There yes. is not just, this is the answer that you need to follow because what we say today might be a little bit different a couple of weeks from now. Exactly. So, I mean, try exactly. to do your best to stay educated, calm, and collective because I can be also very emotional, both for client and for you. Oh, absolutely. Owner. That is, I think, the best advice you could give. <laughs> and talking about being emotional and all that, I have also seen this, and this is not kind of like a legal question, but more like uh-huh. a general advice that you perhaps can give us. Um, I've seen a lot of people, again, Facebook groups, shout out to all my uh, internet lawyers. <laughs> and they, you know, like they just said like, you know, like I got this email from my client and this is the reply that I'm going to send you. And the reply seems so abrasive. Like it's like, yes. hi client, as for our contract, or I have already asked for legal advice. And this is what like, should we lead emails with like that, you know, wording or what should be the best approach for this? Thank you so much for asking this question. <laughs> this is this is such a pet peeve of mine. I actually, I had to stop logging into Facebook a while ago, which is probably bad to admit, but there were so many, I would get tagged in so many threads asking things like this, and it would just be overwhelming for me. Um, no, you should never start. Never, your response should never be that abrasive. You are in a negotiation. I, I keep, I will say it over and over. You are in a negotiation. Part of that, especially for discussing rescheduling potentially for the um, for future dates, you need to provide your client with incentive to want to work with you. Uh, and I'll I'll get to that a, a bit more. But that's great because nothing will turn me off more than an email starting with like, "As per my contract," I will be like, "Okay, well, this is not going good." <laughs> if my if I'm a lawyer, if I had one of my best friends coming out to do, you know, photos or something like that. And they started an email with that. I would, I would literally call them and say, are you kidding me right now? (laughs) (laughs) Even if I wrote the contract, I would still respond like that. So anyways, that should never be, I don't think that should even be your second or third response. I mean, you need to hold off on that. Even again, they're going to be highly emotional. Like you said, this is emotional on so many different levels. 
it's going to be very emotional for us as well as the wedding professionals, but we have to step up and we have to be the ones that choose to strip that emotion from this because this is your client's wedding day. They're, it might be really difficult to speak to them while they're acting like this, but they're allowed to be emotional and upset because imagine what they are going through with all of this. It's horrible. So that being said, even if they're sending you formal letter, letters, et cetera, um, even if they're pulling the whole, well, I've spoken to legal counsel card, I still, I think the best way to respond to those types of correspondence is to make it abundantly clear that you are the one with a level head you're calm, cool, and collected through this, and you're trying to help them. So I was working with a client a couple um, within the last week, and this happened to him exactly. His clients actually um, rebooked for a new date without telling him, and mm -hmm. he is not available for that new date. So then it became the whole game of, okay, well, who gets what refund, et cetera, et cetera. And this, he has a very great relationship with the bride. The bride is actually, he's actually going to be the photographer at her sister's wedding or something like that in a couple of months. Um, so he has a good relationship with the whole family, <laughs> but the, the bride, the minute that he said, I'm not available for that date, it went from her sending emails to him to her writing out letters, mm. signing them like with pen and ink, scanning them and uploading them as a PDF. And all of her responses to him are please see attached. And she is carbon copying a lawyer on it and all sorts of stuff. So, because I've been talking, and again, this has just happened, this is occurring right now, um, but it started up a couple of days ago. As I've been talking to him, just respond back with short, very kind answers and calmly explain again that according to, you know, provision two, six, and 13 of the, of the contract, she can't just change the date on him and, and expect him to be there and, you know the whole question about refunds, et cetera. Um, and just to clarify here, the, yeah. the example that you're giving us is just a bride that decided to change her wedding day due to COVID-19, but she mm -hmm. didn't consult with anybody. Pretty much the email that this photographer got was like, hey, our wedding is going to be November 5. See you there, kind of a thing. Even worse, she consulted with the wedding planner who didn't consult with everyone else and just oh. said that she would make everyone else be there. So, he, so yes, you are correct. But Lord. Planner, I hope she learns a lesson from this. So, but yes, that's the exact scenario that I'm talking about here. So as they're now, they've, they have sent four or five, I don't know how many emails back to one another. An outsider looking in on, on their written correspondence, um, it's very clear that she is trying to bully him. She's trying to, um, she's trying to bully her way into getting that refund. She's operating very emotionally. And his very short and sweet and kind responses stating, I'm willing to provide um, this, this refund by this date, um, you know, provided that you've signed this termination agreement, canceling our, our prior contract. It's clear that he's just handling this calmly, unemotionally, and professionally. So that's, that's just something that is extremely, extremely important to um, keep in mind. Now, if, if a client has made repeated threats or is getting abrasive or nasty or harassing, then that is entirely fine to speak to, to use the phrase, I've spoken to a lawyer. I, I've had that happen quite a few times, unfortunately. Um, so pretty they, much as photographers, we shouldn't yeah. get to that level 
unless you know we're put in that situation where we have tried our best to negotiate to yeah. be kind and all that and then you know maybe yeah. approach that but that shouldn't exactly. be like your first email ever like <laughs> never never if they're harassing you that's different you need to always stand up for yourself if they're saying give me this money by this date or else i'm going to ruin your reputation and i'm going to post on instagram and facebook and google and wedding wire and etc cetera, etc cetera. that's when things have escalated a little bit past the point of just being amicable. And that's when it's okay to say, I've spoken to an attorney. Awesome. This is why I'm handling it this way. Awesome. And another, I mean, just, this is just my tip. I'm not just an emotional tip that I'm going to give you. If you get an email that upsets you, take 24 hours to reply. Exactly. Go watch some TV. Maybe, I mean, go for a walk if you can go for a walk, but yes. do not engage in the email right away because that is not yes. going to help you. Yes, that's, I have to, I know that and I tell my clients that and I have to remind myself sometimes out loud to take that, my own advice, because it can be so the, hard. I'm here <laughs> giving the advice, but like, I'm telling you, sometimes it's really hard for me even not to like immediately jump into like a reply. You just need to like give exactly. yourself a second. <laughs> that's exactly right. So Paige, you have been so generous with all the information, knowledge. I think this chat is going to really, you know, give some perspective to a lot of people in the wedding industry. So thank you so much for doing this. Once again, work can people find you? Thank you so much. Again, I appreciate you having me here. Um, so you can find me on a, my two businesses I mentioned. You can find me at pageholst.com. That's where I have all of my primarily trademark um, business services, one-on-one -on -one services. Or you can find the Creative Law Shop at shopcreativelaw.com. And that's where you can find um, blog posts and articles written about everything we've spoken about today and all of those three provisions, as well as the rescheduling and cancellation provisions that we spoke about. We also, I, I will mention really quickly, a copywriter um, teamed up with me and wrote some of those responses, those email responses um, that we've been talking about just now. And those are for free in our resources library as well. So, and yeah, then you can find me on Instagram at page.hulse and that's H-U-L-S-E or the Creative Law Shop. So everybody, I'm going to, again, add the links to the notes, to the iTunes notes. So go ahead right after this chat and immediately get at least the free resources that she has because again they're free and they can help you like that's a no-brainer <laughs> and thank, thank you so much before, i mean to just change uh gears for a second here and before we finalize this is something that i always ask my guests uh just to like end on a different note what are you loving right now <sighs> oh my gosh <laughs> and i such a such a fun and also difficult question too. So I I am a huge I'm that girl that loved horses growing up and never grew out of it. I'm um, I grew up training horses and that's still something that's my true passion. Um, and so I have really loved and whatever little free time I have right now, diving back into actually being a student again and doing what research I can from some of the professionals that are out there, the experts that are out there, and ironically given that I'm talking to you of all people about this. Um, I, I am <laughs> trying to learn how to shoot in manual. And so oh, I have nice. had, I'm not great at it. I will, probably will never show a photo that I've taken, <laughs> but it's been fun to just be a novice and try to learn how to do that. 
Well, practice makes progression. I think that's the better thing as perfect. And yeah. listen, we all started at some point. I'm a professional photographer, but I didn't know anything about it 10 years ago. So you never know where you're going to end, Paige. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, just taking lots of pictures of my dog right now. Ah, that's cute. And, and listen, you know, it's always good to, you know, pick something new, learn something new, even during difficult times. I know yeah. sometimes... and. and I don't want to sound tone deaf or anything like that, but like we should try always to find something positive in the situation that we Absolutely. are in. So I know these are really hard times for a lot of us as business owners and as small business owners and things like that, but try to find a little bit of gratitude in your day. It's going to help you deal with the rest of the adversity yes. that we're facing. Absolutely. Could not agree more. <laughs> awesome. So Paige, thank you so much for your generosity. And for all of you that are listening, thank you so much for listening. Go to her website again. I'm going to add the links and I'll talk to you all of you very soon. Until then, bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. For more info about marketing tips for photographers and show notes, please visit thetogrepublic.com. If you enjoyed today's show, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. Want even more? Join our marketing community group. Just search for The Tog Republic Group on Facebook. Until next week.